Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No pudding, no points. Welcome to Point of Football, where much like Harry Kane, we've vastly overestimated our appeal and have had to come crawling back to our only friend, Andy Baxter. Aww. <laughs> My name is Tom Meadowcroft, and with me is Daz Napton. Right, we have another 125 years to go until we get to the modern Jesus, day. Jesus, why? And have you got a physical copy of this book? Yep. Can I see it? Can I see it like, fucking hell, okay. <laughs> but don't worry, because I'm going to try and get through three stories today, because one of them is particularly... You knock a bear out with that. We've got um, two, one particularly short story in there, which is quite good. You'll also be pleased to know that two of them, back-to-back, take place in Stoke-on-Trent. Fuck yeah, so, okay. So we're going to start off up in the, the proper north, Sunderland. September 1894, and this is entitled The Game of Three Halves. Okay. Yeah, well, like a sofa. Going to raise an objection. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, you're not. So, it was the first day of the 1894 season. Sunderland were at home to Derby County. The official referee, Mr. Kirkham, was running late. Hmm. <laughs> Can you see where this is going? <laughs> I like I like to think the standard of officiating has, has gone up somewhat since then. But yeah, yeah, traffic happens, I suppose. The game started with a deputy in charge, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this. The name of the referee was John, Conqueror of Southwick. <laughs> When did you say this happened? Sorry. 
1894. Okay. I don't you wouldn't know mess with them, would you? People still went by things like John the Conqueror in in that time, in the Victorian times. It is Sunderland, okay. I forget. So the I... two teams played for 45 minutes and at half-time, the actual referee, Mr Kirkham, arrived. So he made an incredible decision that he would offer Derby County, who were losing 3-0, the option to start again. Can I just... You know this book... I think we've said this before. This book always focuses on the things I don't want to hear about. Yeah, 100%. I, I, want, I want to hear more about... Why this man was called John the Conqueror. <laughs> Why he I took time out from conquering to become a referee. <laughs> I don't fuck about the actual guy. No. And we'll never hear about that again. Yeah. I feel that's what makes it so juicy, <laughs> though. You, you, can, you can make your own mind up on who and what John the Conqueror of Southwick is. He sounds like a great okay. guy, though. Anyway, so that he, the, the actual ref arrived and he offered Derby the chance to restart the match because obviously they didn't have the proper ref. As they were 3-0 down, obviously they took it. Two more halves followed. Derby were captained by England international John Goodhall, who probably holds a world record for having lost the coin toss twice. <laughs> uh, unfortunate for him. Derby were forced to kick against a strong gale for the first two halves, but the biggest panic was among the press men present at the game. Oh, yeah, that would have been a ball leg. Yeah. They had already dispatched messages all over the country to say that Sunderland were winning 3-0 at half-time, which I suppose in that day and age is probably as bad yeah. as it could get. How did they do that in 1897? <laughs> well, you remember, Maybe. like, um, you remember... um. That one Andy Dawson was saying on um, Top Flight Time Machine backs, like how you get the pink and in like the shops, like fucking hours after the game, somehow. They used to get it in Liverpool. It was called the Football Echo, and it used to be in the shops at about six. And you know, the games <laughs> had finished at five. It was ridiculous. It no, beat you home that. sometimes. I don't know how, how they used to do it, but yeah. The magic of the press. But all turned out all right for the press in the end because at half time it was 3 0 again. <laughs> so it was a waste of everyone's awesome. time. <laughs> the decision to start the game second time round favoured Sunderland because obviously they'd kicked now into the wind for 90 minutes and were knackered, um, which <laughs> meant that in the second or sorry, the third half, Sunderland would go on to score five more goals winning the first league game 8-0. Sunderland, of course, had scored 11 goals in three halves, but it was only 8-0. And Sunderland actually won their third Football League Championship that year, so it may have been the most crucial of results. It does make me think about like something that I'd never really thought about before. Like In old-timey football, you would have gone to amazing lengths not to postpone or call off a game. Yeah. Like, because, you know, getting back to Sunderland would, would probably take fucking ages. Yeah, or like a horse. Do you reckon football ever coincided with like mainly horse and cart? When was, I'm so stupid, like when was cars? Maybe cars, because I don't think they'd, they'd invented a, a bus. 
maybe a bus just a big car. Yeah, so it would have been such an ordeal to have like a postponement. It feels weird to have a car and also someone called John the Conqueror in the same time. <laughs> it doesn't seem to to mesh together. It's like if you're playing Age of Empires and one of you, one of you has um, gone up a couple of ages and the other one hasn't. <laughs> I think um, someone just bought some DLC. Nerdy reference. I wonder if um, maybe because I feel like there's a car that is actually called a Conqueror. Maybe it was one of the first cars, like the the Ford Conqueror. Oh, so it was named after John, or John had designed it. Like if you discover a meteor, I've discovered a car, lads. It's a canny way to get around. <laughs> Let's move it along because we haven't actually heard the best bit of this tale yet. Yeah, was um, fucking it was John the, <laughs> the game of three halves assumed a legendary place among the folklore of Derby County fans and players, none more than England international goalkeeper Jack Robinson, who conceded 11 goals that afternoon. Robinson had previously boasted that he would never concede 10 goals in a game. Well, yeah, that's pretty, you know, that's a pretty low bar set for yourself, dude. It is. But apparently his teammates did debate whether it should be classed as that he conceded eight or 11. Regardless of that, Robinson had a valid excuse for why he did concede so many goals. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Did he have no arms? You should say that. We're coming to a story soon. (laughs) We're coming to a story soon with a one-armed goalkeeper. (laughs) But no. Robinson explained the debacle (coughs) by his failure to do his tradition that he does before every match. Every match, he eats rice pudding before. And he had a specific phrase that he would use before before the match. Which was, no pudding, no points. I hope his autobiography was called that. I don't know what to say. That's the fucking twist thing I've ever heard. No pudding, oh no points. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Tale, tales are uh, uh, reported that he went to such lengths one time in Burnley. <laughs> the hotel had run out of rice pudding. So um, an hour before the match... The um, the Derby manager was just walking around Burnley trying to find rice pudding. Of course, Ozzy wouldn't go on without a bowl of M and M's in his changing room. <laughs> I had to break into a sweet shop and beat the beat the proprietors to death with their own shoes. But Ozzy got his M and M's, and he went on and played a great show. It's it's along those lines. It's certainly better than the superstitions of today. I mean, I've I've seen all sorts of stuff. I think it's Cristiano Ronaldo has to put his left sock on first and all that sort of nonsense. But rice I mean, pudding before kick off. Compared to the pudding addict, that's uh, that's pretty small. I would like to see more of it in today's game. I mean, I know what you mean, Daz. You just see them coming on and sort of doing these, like, the cross <laughs> gestures or, like, hopping onto the pitch and doing all that rubbish. But, you know, I want I want to see, you know, Bruno Fernandes come on and <laughs> no pudding, no pudding. <laughs> just someone come on and, like, snort a room. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the game of three halves. John the Conqueror, Rice Pudding, 
no pudding, no points. Uh, it's it's another strong contender, I think, in the early days, isn't it? So yeah. far, that is a lot of story. We move on now, and we go from one extreme to the other. And actually, this match took place just two months after. This one, by contrast, is called the Four Minute Game. So I, I don't think the fans did, but having said that, it was in Stoke in December. Yeah. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out here and say this is where the original um, phrase "Could he do it on a cold Friday night in Stoke?" comes from 1894. Is more research needed, or is that mentioned in the book? Do you think it's going to be mentioned in the book? <laughs> well, no, because I'm interested in hearing about it. No, definitely not. <laughs> so here's what it has to uh, say: yeah. it's, a, it's a very short story, as you'd expect for a four-minute game. Referees have discretionary powers to suspend or terminate a game whenever they deem it necessary. Terminate. In Britain, the usual reason is the weather, although referees are advised to give the matter very careful consideration before yielding to the elements. Otherwise, there would be very little football played. <laughs> you, know, that's what you want to hear it in like um, sort of old-time radio voice, don't you? We would urge the referees to give considerable caution before making this decision, or we would not see very much football played at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've definitely set the scene there. The writer goes on to say, I know of one football league game, Grimsby Town against Oldham in 1909, where weather conditions twice caused an abandonment. Over a period of seven weeks, these two teams met three times and played 220 minutes of football. And that goes back to what you were saying there, Tom, about how much of a nightmare it must have been if these postponements actually happened. I mean, Grimsby to Oldham isn't the worst possible journey, but it's still pretty bad if you're expecting John the Back in those days. (laughs) And trying to make sure they've got enough rice pudding. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Among the candidates for the shortest ever game must be the occasion Stoke City entertained Wolverhampton Wanderers in a blinding snowstorm. The weather was so bad that about 300 or 400 people turned up to watch, which in those days is basically no one, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. This is like Um, pre-TV. Play immediately proved farcical. The referee, Mr. Helm, decided to abandon the game (laughs) after four... Four minutes. And the worst thing is the storm soon cleared, but the wind persisted and the conditions were unbearable for spectators and players. For the record, Stoke won the coin toss. Come on. I walked through a blinding blizzard in Stoke once. Do you remember that, Daz? Oh, yeah, in Hanley Park. That was fucking bad. I had to walk like halfway across the city in this like ridiculous snowstorm through Hanley Park with my mate Scott. There was a big old pond in Hanley Park and I was pretty sure we were just going to end up in it. Or sliding over it. Certainly not football weather. It was actually really fun, but also some peril. So that was a pretty short story. Not really much to say about that one. I think that was just a bit of a filler, really. How's that made it in? (laughs) Match gets suspended after four minutes. Yeah. Move on. Gonna, Move on. I was going to say, like, um, you know that one where they said it was unbelievably snowy, but then it was, it was still bad, but then it was just windy. It reminded me. Did we do that one 
at Swindon away backs. Really. I was just thinking that I was, and yeah, right. it got called off just after half time. It was so fucking weird because it was it was an all right day. It was overcast, but it was still kind of warm. And then it, I've just never seen rain like it for about twenty minutes, and then nothing. Yeah. And then like the the streets were flooded. There was like fucking lakes everywhere. Yeah. You could see it. They, 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 they did try, I suppose, didn't they? They tried to roll the ball a few times and it was like, yeah, it's just silly. Someone's going to get hurt here. It's just like, it's just the weirdest weather I've ever seen. We we stay in Stoke. We've moved on three and a half years. And uh, if you thought that was exciting, let me tell you the title of this next story. Not one shot at goal. <sighs> a few times. I kind of, I kind of feel we, we've done these the wrong way around today, haven't we? Yeah, that first one is definitely the top-notch story yeah. of this three. But anyway, we persist. Modern-day football may have its highly developed defensive strategies and across-the-field builder, but the strangest shot-shy game of all took place almost 120 years ago when Stoke City and Burnley engineered a goalless draw to save their places in the first division. Corruption. Corruption in Stoke. Who'd have thought it, eh? I mean, to be fair, if I think of a game that reeks of nil-nil, it is Stoke versus Burnley. Yeah, Stoke and Burnley. Yeah, that's right. The the XG would be very low. I wonder if they only they only sort of came out with this line that it was uh, they planned it after the event. It was just a really bad game. I said, <laughs> no, 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 no. We were uh, both bribed there, lads. Sorry. <laughs> we will find out a bit more. And there's a good bit of history in this one. I do quite enjoy this because we get to find out a bit more about how relegation worked back in the late 1890s. Stoke and Burnley were engaged with two of the teams, Newcastle and Blackburn, in a series of test matches to decide promotion and relegation between the two divisions. Well, they're playing cricket. <laughs> I think what it was, was there was the top two of the championship versus the bottom two of the premiership, and they just played each other once, I guess. Okay. Not sure where test matches comes into it, but I guess it's kind of mm. like a it's kind of like in Scotland with the uh, relegation promotion playoff yeah. type idea. but Like in Germany. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, say Germany. So on the morning of the final round of matches, Stoke and Burnley were joint top of the mini league. A draw would suit them both, but it would not suit the 4,000 people who braved torrential rain and strong wind to attend the game at Stoke's Victoria ground. It was a fiasco. The goalkeepers hardly touched the ball. Passes went to opponents when either team looked well-placed to attack. Literally didn't even disguise it. If someone got into the final third, I mean, who's bad enough that they can't help controlling getting into the final third? Did they get a bit excited and think, oh, I could have a pop here? And then just went, no, it's not in the spirit of this debacle. So, yeah, they just basically... Oh, there was a couple of times where instead of shooting, they would pass it to the corner flag just to try <laughs> and mix it up a bit. Um, I'm going to ping it in from the corner flag. The geometry, you will not believe. Players' kits remain surprisingly clean. I'm not sure why it's surprisingly clean. Oh, because of the atrocious conditions. Yeah, 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 I get it now. And the best chance of a goal 
was a tame back pass. The crowd quickly realised what was happening. I'm not sure how quickly, but they did boo and jeer, or, for variation, cheered sarcastically. They shouted kind words of advice. Now this, this is written as though it's quotes, but it can't be. There's no way anyone was there recording what was being said at this match. And there's certainly not enough swear words Mm. in use to express the disdain of fans at that point. One of them shouts, apparently, come off the field. We're doing more than you. Yeah, that's fine. Famous, isn't it? One of them, uh, you can imagine this in a classic. Time, though. I don't know. Yeah, you can imagine this one in a classic Stokey voice. Someone just shouts, "Play the game!" <laughs> and the highlight of wit came from one fan who apparently shouted, "Them goal nets were invented for a reason." <laughs> I like that. Is someone thought, "Oh, I best t- best take these down for posterity." These are razor-sharp observations. (laughs) I think whilst we're sort of halfway through this story, I'm going to challenge you, Tom. You're at this scenario. You're watching uh, watching Bristol Rovers in this position. You you stood behind the goal and you see this this exact scene unfold. What are you shouting to your your main man up top? Have a fucking crack, you gormless... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely more along the lines of what you'd expect. Right, let's crack on. Let's persist. I honestly think it was a more polite time. But anyway, uh, back, back in the day, when... gent like screaming cunt at someone. Not that I do well, that all the time. You... I'd like to stress. When you were in your best suit and a cap and you had one of those wooden sort of mallets that seemed a bad idea to take to a football game. I mean, that's a weapon. Oh, man. As the second half progressed, still no goals, still no shots at the goal. The crowd on the Boven road side of the ground began to make their own entertainment. When the ball was kicked into their small wooden stand, they hung on to it. To their utter disgust, another ball appeared. Undaunted, however, they tried it again and again and again. This asks the question, if they were trying their hardest not to have a shot, how is the ball still ending up in the stand? Are they that bad? Why did it keep getting into the fans? <laughs> Surely you'd want to keep it on the pitch and time waste if you were just trying to get rid of the game. Yeah. Just horsing it into the fans every opportunity. The linesman sprinting up and down the pitch was getting cheers. Again, why was he sprinting up and down the pitch when no one's trying? Seems a bit pointless. Maybe um, he get a jog in to not waste his time. Whilst that was happening, the linesman ran so fast up the line that he ran and collided into a policeman and they both were like knocked out on the sideline. I think that gave the fans a little uh, bit of entertainment. Yeah, that, that would uh, break things up a little. Newcastle, in the other game, managed to beat Blackburn, but then knew then that they wouldn't go up, which was huge disappointment. And one note in this book is that it may have been an interesting thing to ask how both sets of players would be to trust each other. What would be in it for them to keep the other one in the league? 
rather than having a new team in the league if they won? It's not that. It's if you try and win and the other team genuinely beat you, then you're going, you get, you're going down and losing your the place, aren't you? Whereas if you both actively play not to lose, then you, you sort of guarantee yeah. it's not a fun answer. It's just... it, it could be true. Hillman, who was um, who spent his career within a whisker of controversy and comedy, apparently, um, from Devon by birth, played for Burnley and Everton before a two-season spell with Dundee. During his second season with the Scottish club, Hillman was suspended for not trying, which was why, <laughs> why he came to Burnley for £130 in time to help them into the first division. Hillman was then in his late 20s, but much was still to happen to him. He played a game for England and was twice suspended by the FA in 1900 and 1906 for allegedly bribing Nottingham Forest players to lose to Burnley. And whilst a Man City player, he received some illegal payments as well. <laughs> and then this is where... Again, we... they focused on the wrong bit, this story, haven't they? And this is, where, this is where we get to the peak. Did he Jack, have a little moustache? Jack Hillman had once won a bet that he could keep goal with one hand tied behind his back and not concede oh, a goal. Out. Cop out. At Stoke, on that farcical goalless afternoon, he had no need to handle the ball at all. Mm, interesting. But yeah, so basically there's some weird Devon guy trotting around the northwest of the country, bribing and tying arms behind his bribing back. Bribing my way across the north of the country. <laughs> da, 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 da. I'm from Devon, fuck you. The Stoke-Burnley game goes down in history on two counts. The authorities discussed that the players' actions led to the curtailing of the playoff at the end of the season. So they actually scrapped that playoff after that. Oh, damn which uh, I guess is now why you probably just get the two-legged semi in the, um, in the final, because then there's no option to cheat. Uh, and secondly, as far as the writer is aware, it is the only game without a shot at goal played in the highest levels of football. Hmm. I guess on that note, it's quite interesting, but it's not quite as good as the, the way we started off in Sunderland, is it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a game without a shot on goal. No. And that's not that's not even shot on target, that's just shot on goal at all. Oh, right, yeah, Jesus. The, the, the ones where they just booted it, the corner must have gone down as just wayward passes or poor first touch. I guess so. I, I, yeah. I, <laughs> the stat man may have just packed up and gone home by that point. He's gone for his rice pudding. Anyway, that is a trio of tales. I would argue the two Stoke stories are Shit. barely, barely <laughs> worth mention. They're definitely not peak football. But before that, up We've in uh, up in Sunderland, I mean, we I'm sure we'll be returning to Stoke because they've had some weird and wonderful stuff over the years. But I think the game of three halves in Sunderland is a genuine contender for peak football it would have been great to be there on that day i think yeah man that's so far the best story for me there's got to be other tales of john the conqueror it's got to be 
He didn't just do one half a game and never heard from him again. Was he even a qualified ref, I wonder? No, he's just some guy. I mean, if you've got a, 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 you know, I assume a penchant for conquering, you can sort of just rock up and do whatever you like. It's probably one of the uh, titles bestowed upon him as a conqueror. Right, fire us home with this marvellous Joe Cat. Okay. I say, I say, I say, Daz and Bax. What do you call someone with no body and no nose? Nobody knows. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.